I do want to kick off, though, and talk about something that's happening that is, is so encouraging to me. And, you know, whenever God shows up in a way you didn't expect, there's a temptation for some of us that have lived life for a while and for some of us that have seen things come and go, and you can get a little cynical. And you can be a little untrusting. And there's definitely a place in life, in business, uh, dating, where you need to be careful, right? But when it comes to a movement of God, there's something happening right now that I wanna celebrate. And I wanna encourage you, church, because because it's happening here too. You may not have heard, you may not know that in Asbury University in Kentucky, after one of the chapels, I went to a Christian university. Chapel was no place that God moved. I'm just gonna say that right now. Um, you were there to just get your scan card and, and get the class, you know. I mean, I, I hate to be that honest, you know. I mean, there were some good chapels, but um, after one of the chapels, one of the students stood up and began confessing his sin. And the chapel went a little longer. They began to pray for him. They began to pray. Others began to confess, hey, this is what I've been struggling with. Um, that was over two weeks ago, and they're still going. People, yeah, they're still going. And for me, I would rather be blissfully naive and embrace a movement of God than cynical, skeptical, and miss out on a movement of God. And... I also wanna tell you, Keystone, you may not know this, but over a year ago, Susan and I began to dream. We dream all the time. I mean, you know, we don't turn off the Keystone dial. It's always on. The church is something that we live with. And we began to pray about a fresh movement of God as we were moving into this new campus. One of the things that God began to put in our hearts was where we would get on our knees before him, that we would be praying, that we would see miracles in this house, and we began to see it. Uh, we began to see it with the women's conference. Many of you were at the women's conference and the aisles were full of women and they were being prayed over and, and people being prayed over their illnesses and people being prayed over their heart relationships, and it was powerful. We saw it again at the winter camp with our students where it was unbelievable, the students just moved all over the room and they were, they were on their face before the Lord and it was just a, a special movement of God. And then just a few weeks ago, when Susan spoke about the idol of people, about how we can make a little G God out of other people, particularly in this service, the altars were full and people were on their knees before God and there's just this heart and there's something happening in this church. And I, I just want you to know that we are in the water of a movement of God. And we're seeing it elsewhere. We're seeing it in places that'll make the news like Asbury and, and how it's spreading all over campuses and, and from Oklahoma Baptist University where my brother's the president to the West Coast. And if a movement of God can hit Baptist, I'm just telling you, it is of the Lord. <laughs> I speak as, as one who grew up in that tribe and so I'm just saying, all jokes aside, you know, you can joke about where you came from, but here's the thing. I, I, I wanna invite you to revival nights tonight because we are setting aside that time to really get on our knees before the Lord. 
It's not gonna be a preach-a-thon. I love preaching. It's one of my favorite things to receive and to give. But it's more of a time for prayer. We will share a little bit, Susan and I, but it's a time for us to pray with one another. It's a time for us to separate ourselves and call out to God. It's a time for you to receive prayer over heal, for healing for anything in your life, prayer for someone else that you're carrying a burden for. I just invite you to Revival Nights tonight, and this was a vision that we cast so long ago, and we're about to see it happen. And so I'm super excited about it, and I would just love to pray about what we believe God is gonna do as we separate ourselves tonight and just really dedicate that time to just honoring him and seeing people's lives change. Father, I pray that as we separate that time, as we, as we make a space for you to visit us, as we make a space for you to speak to us, as we say, God, if you wanna heal, God, we're here. And we're ready to pray for somebody to be healed. For people that need help, God, we're, we're here and we're ready to pray for people that need help. For people that don't wanna feel alone, God, we're here and we're gonna stand next to one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. We're just gonna be the family of Christ here tonight, God, and I just pray, God, that when you show up, because you promise if we gather in your name, you will show up. When you show up, our hearts will be ready to receive you. Would you do a mighty thing tonight as we gather in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. <clears throat> I'd love for you to raise your hand if you have ever heard of Frederick Nietzsche. Raise your hand, Frederick Nietzsche. Well, not as many hands as I thought. If you went to college, you did hear about him. You just forgot about it, all right? He is a philosopher that is highly foundational to the way that a lot of people view the world today. Um, I'm not a fan of Nietzsche. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Uh, I'm a big thumbs down on Nietzsche. Two thumbs down on Nietzsche. Nietzsche had some <clears throat> pretty brutal, corrosive philosophies that I believe led to incredible hardship and even death. Uh, it, is, it is powerful thought that you, you need to really think about what you believe. The beliefs that you have really do translate into actions and, and his idea of the Ubermensch, his idea of the Superman, his idea of the will to power uh, emboldened Hitler and gave rise to the Nazi regime, Third Reich. So I'm not a fan of Nietzsche. I'm a big thumbs down on Nietzsche. I don't agree with Nietzsche. He's the one that popularized the phrase, God is dead. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I look at this church, I look at churches that I love and that we have relationships with and God is on the move, it is happening. When I look at the church all over the world, it is growing, it is happening. He lived in the 1800s and I'm proud to report, Nietzsche, you were wrong. But as he thought about how Western society is becoming more secular and less sacred, how we are abandoning God, he did get something right and I do agree with him on, on one thing. He said this, that basically, when you let go of a God, you're going to pick up something else. And this is what he said, with God gone, this is what we're gonna pick up. He said, what was once done for the love of God is now done for the love of money. For the love of money. 
That's powerful. And you know, I think it's true. I think it's true because it's something that Jesus said as well. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said it this way. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Wow, words to live by, right? If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, how will you, how, who will give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a big philosophical truth. It's the way of the world. You cannot serve two masters, according to Christ. And then he razor points the application. You cannot serve God and money. As we wrap up this series today, Good gift, bad God. We're gonna look at one of the biggest idols. Last week, we talked about what I consider one of the top two idols that our culture embraces. We talked about love, romance, and sex. That's a big little G God in our culture. I believe the twin towers of idols in our culture is sex and today, money, money. So why would we back off from talking about money if it's such an idol? Why would we duck the topic? Is it because, well, we don't wanna be one of those churches that all they do is talk about money and twisted arms, okay, here we go, it's the money talk. Do I enjoy whenever speaking on money, all of a sudden the room goes down about 20 degrees? It's like all of a sudden there's an exorcist, you're breathing smoke. Do, you, do, do I enjoy that? Do I enjoy when we bring up the topic of money, somebody goes, I see you, okay? <laughs> no, it's because what I've discovered in my life and what I've discovered in pastoring this church is that when you have freedom, in the area of your finances. When you truly give God this area of your life, radical things happen. I'd be a bad pastor if I knew that there was an altar you were kneeling at and for fear of your reaction or your impression of me, that I would duck or dodge this topic. And so long ago, I crossed the line and I said, I'm actually excited when I get to talk about money because I know the freedom that's about to be unlocked in this house. I know the freedom that's about to be unlocked in your home. I know that your parenting is about to change because you parent out of that idol and if that is your idol, you are parenting your kids with a dysfunctional view towards finances. If it's an idol of your life, listen to me, it's a bad God. It's a bad God, we'll talk about that. But before we do, I think it's healthy to understand it's a good gift. This is where you're like, whoa, whoa, hang on, okay. Yes, 
Before we talk about how it can break bad, let's talk about how God unlocks it for good. First of all, when you look at the Bible, did you know how many of our heroes in the Bible were wealthy? Like, really loaded. Well, let's just go through a few. Number one, Abraham. Abraham was the Sam Walton of the Old Testament. Those of you that laugh know that I'm talking about the founder of Walmart. And the reason I say he's a Sam Walton is because all the Waltons are like bajillionaires still because of Sam Walton, right? Well, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac loaded family money. Then there came Joseph. You say, oh yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it's family money. No, see, Joseph's a little different. He, was, he stood to inherit the money, but he lost it all. He was sold into slavery. He was a self-made bajillionaire. He was second in line to Pharaoh himself. So he went from slave to celebrity. He was super rich. Here's another one. Job. Did you know that our boy Job in the Bible was rich, wealthy, loaded? Any other words I could use? You say, I don't know, man. I, I, as I recall Job was like miserable. Yeah, he was super miserable because he had lost it all. He suffered, he struggled, he had lost it all. But when you go read what he lost, he lost a lot. And then at the end of the Bible, the crescendo of the book, he gets multiple back what he lost. So he ended wealthier than when he began, and he began very wealthy. So Job was very, very wealthy. Here's a couple, David, Solomon, kings, rich. Solomon increased on the wealth of David. Uh, the wealth of Solomon is, is, is estimated to be one of the wonders of the world, how wealthy Solomon was when it's described. Esther, love Esther, one of our favorite characters here at Keystone, we love Esther. What a, I love preaching through Esther. Esther was the queen. She was super, super rich. Here's another one. Matthew, did you know the disciple Matthew was wealthy? His Hebrew name was Levi, his Greek name was Matthew, and he was wealthy. How do you know that, Brandon? He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were wealthy. And if you say, well, what if he was a bad tax collector? No, he was wealthy, because where did Jesus meet Matthew? At his massive house, throwing a massive party with all the A-lister blue check people. <laughs> Matthew was wealthy, our boy. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Those are our church people laughing. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but the Bible describes him as a different kind of tax collector. He was an arch tax collector, which means he was even wealthier than Matthew. You say, wait a second, I didn't think Zacchaeus loved Jesus. He was like cheating the people. He was cheating the people, and he got wealthy off of them. But he had one dinner with Jesus, and after that dinner, generosity was unlocked, and, and he, his, he financially changed the world for a lot of people. That's Zacchaeus, great story of Zacchaeus. Barnabas in the New Testament church, sold a piece of land, he had wealth. Lydia, she opened up her home. Interesting thought about the first century Christianity. They didn't have buildings, but so they met in wealthy patrons' homes. These people had 
really, really big estates. You can find them in, in archeology. span They've even found the homes where Christians would meet. They find these homes and they see all this Christian iconography on the walls. They've even found old churches and when they excavate these old, beautiful churches, underneath them was a Christian wealthy home. What happened is the wealthy people would have people meeting in their homes and then as persecution lifted, they would just give the home to the church upon their death and they build the church there, physically. So Lydia was one of those people who had a, 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 a they, I think the homes in those days would seat about, uh, like Lydia's, about 100, 150 people. They would gather in their courtyard. Uh, the Ethiopian treasurer, wealthy, all this, just look at this. These are the heroes. I'm not even pointing out the people in the Bible who were the villains in the stories who were wealthy. These are the people that God is saying, these people are worthy of studying, these people are worthy of looking at their lives, and guess what? They were wealthy. And if that's not enough for you, let me just throw some scriptures up on, up on the screen here that you can take a picture of. The Bible is actually positive towards wealth. Proverbs 10, 22, Proverbs 13, 22, Proverbs 21, 20, Luke chapter 15, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 1 Timothy 5, 8, and I just stopped looking after 1 Timothy 5, 8. You can take a picture of that if you wanna be encouraged that actually wealth is a positive thing, it's not a negative thing. You see, we have this mindset in our culture that if you're wealthy, something's wrong. <clears throat> That's not what the Bible teaches. Now there's also an equal dysfunction that some people say if you're wealthy, it's a sign that you're right with God. That wealth is a sign of that you, you, you are, you are well, you're wealthy because God has blessed you. There's another swing of the pendulum that says if you're poor, that's the way to please God. So I'm going to be wealthy, and that's how I please God, or I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna deprive myself and I'm gonna be poor, and that's how I please God. And here's what I tell you, both of those are works-based religion. Poverty theology and wealth theology, neither are the way you work your way to God. Christ worked his way to you on the cross. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. Whether you have wealth or whether you're poor, you had nothing to do with it. Is anybody excited about that? That you don't have to work your way to God, he worked his way to you. That's true, that's so true. Poverty is not God's design or desire. Did you know that? Like God doesn't want you to be poor. Proverbs 6.10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed bandit. Poverty is the reward for sin in this regard, that your laziness is gonna cause you to be poor. You don't want to be poor, is what the Bible is saying. You don't wanna be poor. Deuteronomy 15, verse four, but there will be no poor among you, the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. And there is a, pro, is a prof, prophetic word that one day none of us will be poor. You say, well, Brandon, I'm poor. Does that mean that I've done something wrong? No, absolutely not. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And we live in a world that has injustice. We have a world where some people got breaks that you didn't get. We have a world where some person was good at math and you weren't. We have a world where somebody had parents that taught them how to deal with their finances and you didn't, right? We have a world where you may have health challenges that don't allow you to earn like maybe you wish you could. Anybody with me? This is a broken world. This is a broken world. So the Bible even says the poor you will always have among you. That's what Jesus said. 
It's a reality of life. But understand this, as we just read, poverty is not in your destiny. Poverty is not in your destiny. When God created the world, and you read about it in Genesis one and two, there was no poverty. And when God recreates the world, and you read about it in the book of Revelation and as the prophecies of Isaiah, you begin to see there is no poverty in our eternity. As a matter of fact, when our eternity is described, what type of streets will we be walking on? Streets of gold, huh. You know, with the cost of concrete these days, you'd think that <laughs> I'm laying down gold. Streets of gold. In other words, what's, what's the writer saying? That that which is a treasure for you, that you only have enough for an earring or for a necklace or a ring, like it's that precious to you. Yeah, we're gonna line the streets with it. Some of you are looking forward to the one day where you will stand at the pearly gates. We say, I'm gonna stand at those pearly gates and God say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you'll say, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not gonna happen, by the way. There's, that's not described in the Bible where you're gonna stand there and have this conversation with God. But he does describe the pearly gates because he describes the gates of, of, of our heavenly city and our eternity as made of single pearls. Have you ever seen a pearl that big? I haven't. So wealth is not a bad thing. Wealth is a good thing. Success is a good thing. It's a gift. If you're on the other side of success, if you feel like that you're living in poverty, man, let me tell you something. One of the things in our church, we wanna lift some lids for you. We wanna do that. We want you to have success. Now, everybody defines sex, success, yes, sex too, success differently. <laughs> everybody defines success differently, but understand this, by God's definition of success, by God's definition of prosperity, God wants you to have success in this life. It's a good gift, but are you ready for the correction? It's a bad God. And, and our worship, of success, our worship of prosperity, our worship of money is that which leaves a sick taste in our mouth. It's that which makes us wanna judge the wealthy. It's that which makes us wanna reach for wealth. It's that which, which makes us think, well, if I could just rib myself of all of that and be poor, then maybe that Gandhi lifestyle is some higher elevated spirituality, a life of, of, of letting it all go. And God says, no, there's a better way to live where you understand the gift that God has given you, but you refuse to make it a little G God. So how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, in Luke chapter 16, we read it. No person, no, no servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other, devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. First Timothy 6.10, the Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice that, that Paul to Timothy said this. He did not say money is the root of all evil. Some of us have misquoted this scripture. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And then he goes forward and says, some of you 
have started kneeling at the altar of money, at the altar of success, at the altar of prosperity, and even for the Christian, this is a magnetic pull away from faithfulness of God. It has caused many of you to stumble away from God, as we say, you've been led astray by the craving for success, prosperity, and money. Listen, I think this is a much needed message in our culture, because I got news for you. If you're in this room right now, I could convince you that you are wealthy. You say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Did you see the cars in the parking lot? I'm not driving one of those, I'm not wealthy. I can convince you that you're wealthy if you've ever traveled outside of America. And you've seen other places in the world, you begin to understand that for the great majority of Americans, probably most everybody in this room, maybe not, but most everybody in this room, that we, by comparison, our standard of living is incredibly wealthy. Even if you were to compare us to past monarchs, our standard of living in a normal everyday home is far superior than what the living standard was even in the 1700s, 1800s for monarchy, monarchy. So I can convince you that we have a higher standard of living, that we do have a certain amount of wealth, that we have opportunities, and then I could double down and say, not only are you in America, you're in Texas, man. Come on. <laughs> and not only are you in the great Republic of Texas, but you are also, anybody catch that? I was just kidding, I was just kidding. Not only are you in Texas, but listen, this city is rocking. There's so many great things about this city. There's so many great jobs. There's so much a great economy in this city. There's so much awesome things happening in this city. Listen, I can convince you, man, you're blessed. We're blessed. This is a good place to be. Some of, some of you, I meet somebody every single week who walks up and says, I moved here from over there. Man, I just wanted this life. I wanted this life. But the ultimate question for us is this. Who is your master? I've seen a lot of dead churches crash and burn on the altar of money. It's interesting. As a pastor, I'll have people come up to me and they'll, Say, Pastor, could you pray for me, young teenager, young man? Could you pray for me, struggling with lust? And I'll pray for him. It's my honor. Pastor, would you pray for us? We're, we're having a hard time in our marriage. It's my honor to pray for you. Yes, I'd love to pray for you. Um, I, even we're having financial problems, financial stress. I'd love to pray for you. It's my honor to pray for you. I have yet for someone to come up to me and say, Pastor, I am so greedy, could you pray for me? I just can't get enough. I just, I keep making so much money and I just want more. And I'm, I just, could you pray for me? I have yet to have that happen, you wanna know why? Because this idol, unlike the idol of sex, you kinda know when you're in the wrong bed. You know when you're crossing the line. But unlike the other idols, this idol is dangerously subtle. And you're walking such a fine line at times. Am I worshiping this or am I receiving it as a good gift? How do I know if I am? How do I know if I'm not? It is incredibly subtle. And so today, I'm not gonna give you just a one, two, three. 
I wanna lead you on really just a journey between you and God, where you come to the place with God, where you say, God, am I kneeling at the altar of money, yes or no? We're gonna give you an opportunity before you even leave to cast off that idol and to move forward in God's great plan for your life. It's a bad, it's a bad God, it is a good gift. Who is your master? Here's the first way you know if it's your master, okay? So get on the edge of your seat, be ready. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So how do I know if I'm giving in to this subtle idol, how do you spend your money? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What is effortless for you to spend for? Okay, but the, the question that you have to ask with that question is where is the Lord? Where's God when it comes to my money? That's the question I wanna challenge you to ask. Where your heart is, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. God knows there's this interesting tie between our treasure, which for us would be money. Back in those days, it might have been goats, sheep, whatever, currency of the day, but where your treasure is, for some of you it's real estate, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, okay? The real question behind that is, so where is the Lord in your treasure? Here's a question. Do you pray about it? Do you pray about it? Like, do you pray? God, would you give me wisdom? Uh, just invite them in. Like, God, would you, would you give me wisdom? Would you help me do the right thing here? God, would you help me avoid a real disaster here? Like, bring them in. Make them your number one financial advisor. God, would you help me to know when it's time to buy and when it's time to sell? Am I rocking some of you right now? Just invite them in. God, would you give me that bonus? Yes, you can ask for the bonus from God and not feel guilty at all. Invite them in. Invite them in. God, how can I bless somebody financially? God, how do I unlock this for life change? God, whenever it's spoken about at church, do I tighten up? That's a sign. See, some of y'all need to loosen right now. Like, I'm not gonna make you do it, but at the women's conference, I have a whole list of things, by the way, that they did at the women's conference that we will never do at the men's conference. <laughs> you wanna know one of them? They had the girls turn and give each other neck massages. Can you imagine if we did that at the men's conference? It'd be the last one we ever had. <laughs> I'm not going back to that church. Guys don't do that. Here's another one. I'm just gonna go ahead and give a couple of my lists. Here's another one. The girls had this wonderful dance party. Just girls. Hey guys, let's get together and have a dance party. Guys, don't do that. I have a house full of girls. I've got three girls, three daughters, and they dance, okay? Guys, bros, when they come over and hang out with my son, they're not dancing. And if they were, I'd tell them to stop. Who is your master? So search your heart, ask God, with my treasure, where are you? 
Where are you in my treasure, God? Here's another way. Let's get even more specific. I wanna help you with your treasure. I wanna talk about the tithe. This is another test. Are you, have you embraced the tithe? Okay. T-I-T-H-E, tithe. What is the tithe? I'm gonna read a scripture that describes the tithe, but the tithe is an Old Testament prescribed <clears throat> first and 10% of what I make, I give to God. You say, well, Brandon, you know, that was Old Testament. We're a New Testament church, so is the tithe still in operation? And I say yes, because Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he said, you tithe and that's a good thing to do, but you need to also concern yourself with justice and mercy. So Jesus affirmed the tithe, <clears throat> and then you see the practice of the tithe in the New Testament church. But even if you're to say, well, it's an Old Testament thing, the New Testament model is more than 10%. You say, well, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna embrace the Old Testament tithe. Well, then that's just fantastic. That means you're gonna do more. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, choose. But um, <clears throat> some of you are like, I love the tithe. <laughs> but the tithe is the first and 10%. If I were to invite you over to my home, okay? If I were to invite you over to my home and I served you leftovers, let me see what we got here. I thought this was a special dinner. Well, I mean, we, we made chicken last night. It'll heat up in a jiffy. You're like, man, this dude's a bad host. I mean, at least order something in and have it popping hot ready. Don't give me leftovers, but I wonder how many of us, when it comes to giving, we give God our leftovers. Why does he say the first 10%? The first, because he wants it to be fresh. Why is it the first? Because of priority. I give to God before I entertain myself. It's a priority. Why does he say the first? It's because Jesus gave, God gave first. Before you ever gave to him, he gave to you. That's why it's first. And it's 10%, and it's the first in 10. And my family, the way we do it is, man, I, I, I started tithing when I was a kid, when I would work little odd jobs and do this stuff. And when I was a janitor, my first job at the church was a janitor, I tithe. So tithing has been a rhythm of my life forever. Um, the way we do it now is we automate that tithe. We just prioritize it and we say, I want it to be recurring giving, we're gonna get that going. That's how we do it in our family. And then beyond the tithe, you're gonna hear a moment about the word offering. That's where you go beyond the tithe and there's moments where you say, man, in addition to my tithe, I wanna do something special. This room right here, all of this was funded with offering. Everything that you see was built by offering. Yeah, powerful. This church is a generous church. Malachi chapter three, verse eight, talks about the tithe. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. This is God talking. But you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. So if you thought Jesus only preached like messages that made you feel so great and so encouraging, man, he's driving hard in the paint here. How'd you like to show up to Keystone and first words out of the mouth? You have robbed God, right? At least, no, he's driving hard in the paint here. You've robbed God. How have we robbed God in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts, 
I, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your, of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fall, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So what did we just read? We just read that God is serious. That this is, this is something serious. So how do I embrace this? How do I do this? First of all, he says, put me to the test. Nowhere else in the Bible does God say, test me. Like, I don't wanna test God. I mean, that, that puts me almost in a position where I'm almost, a, you know. But he says here, test me in this. Test me. Try it. Like, he's like bowing up and say, try it. See if you're not blessed. You say, well, I, once I started tithing and I didn't get bonuses and raises, is money the only way that you qualify success? Then that reveals your God. But you will, you will be blessed. On the other side, if you are not embracing what God has said here, what does he say? The opposite of blessed is cursed. Now, I don't know about you, but I, please don't raise your hand if you wanna be cursed, you know? Do I believe what God says? That's really what we're wrestling with here. He said it, I read it, do we believe it? So how do I do this? Okay, this is heavy. <clears throat> how do I do this? Start with the heart. I believe that before God ever said, hey, give me your hand, he first went to the heart. Start with the heart. Brendan, how do I do that? I want you to think about God before you ever give at this church. I want you to think about God. I want you to think about God. I want you to think about Jesus. Consider Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in celestial heaven crowned with riches, the eyes, of, the eyes we have never seen before. We've never laid our eyes on riches like this. And think about our Jesus, our King, our Prince of Peace, how he left those riches and became poor, born in a manger, never owned a house, and then the timeline that he chose to enter into humanity wasn't in 2023 where we have air conditioning and foam insulation and running water and Wi-Fi. He chose to enter in in Palestine, Israel, when there was no running water, no toilets, disease everywhere. Nobody's washing their hands. They didn't know to do that then. He stepped out of perfection and into poverty so that you in your poverty could step into perfection. He, rich, became poor so that we, poor, could become rich. Utterly, completely rich. Think about that. Marinate your mind with the fact that he came for me. He gave for me. Marinate in your mind that everything that you have came from him. Just allow your mind to remind yourself everything you have came from him. Now, some of y'all are tightening up a little bit. Where was God at four in the morning when I was getting up and nobody, none of my colleagues were? Where was God in that boardroom meeting where I spoke up and I said something and unlocked doors that have never closed? Where was God whenever I was answering that question or I was putting numbers together and nobody had seen the solution? 
Where was God when I showed up early and I built that business? Where was God? I'll tell you where God was. God's the one who gave you the motor to get up in the morning. God's the one who gave you your health so you can show up every day. God's the one who put the numbers in your mind so you could put them together. God's the one who opened up your relational gift so you could connect people. God's the one who gave it all. And do you know how you live on a fine thread? Come on. It's all from God. Our life is so insecure. Have we not learned that in the last two years? That life, prosperity, it is a fragile thing. And if you're here feeling good and you're feeling energized and you're all bowed up, that's a gift from the Lord. That is a gift straight from God. Marinate on those things. Oh God, you're the giver. Oh God, you sacrifice. Oh God, you have a plan for me. Oh God, you'll take care of me. And consider how we might idolize money. I believe one of the ways we idolize money is we're trying to create our own Eden without God's help. We're trying to get back to the garden before sin broke it all. We're trying to create our own Eden. But we're not inviting God to create it. We wanna create it ourselves. Now, I'm a big believer in excellence and, you know, in my house, man, I am, man, I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be awesome. I want the landscaping to rock. I want, I want my kitchen. I, I want to look at my kitchen and be like, oh, I love my kitchen. That's just me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But understand, that faucet's not gonna work some days. And doggone it, the air conditioning is out again. It's called for our single folk home ownership that we are not there yet, kiddos. And right when you've built the perfect house, ants are crawling through the foundation because we're not there yet. Nothing wrong with excellence, nothing wrong with beauty, but are you slipping into a mindset where you're trying to create your Eden without God involved? Maybe you use money to serve another idol. Sex, love of people, Money's what gets you what you really want. Maybe it's a desire for comfort. Maybe it's a desire for power. You like the way it makes you feel when you roll up. Now you wouldn't admit that, but before the Lord, you like the way it makes you feel, right? Again, good gift, bad God. So as you reflect on these things, Brandon, what do I now do? Malachi 3, first step, God, You've told me the first thing I need to do if I wanna cure the idol of greed, materialism, prosperity and success, the idolizing it, you say, unlock it with the first intent. So do it. Bye. Seriously, do it. Just do it. Step in. I was talking to a couple right before the service and they weren't even at the nine o'clock. They didn't know what I was preaching today. Tears in their eyes. Their son is standing right next to them. They say, Pastor, I, I've got to tell you this story. I've got to tell you what happened. Energy coming off of them. Said, you know, Keystone's new for us. Church is new for me, the husband said. This is all new. I, was, I did a different religion and I found something here and 
this is all new for me. And we got around to you talking about tithing and my wife wanted us to and I was not wanting to. I'm like, I get it, man. I get it. He said, so we began to pray about it and we began to say, okay, let's, let's tithe. And then right as I started tithing, you know, we bought a house and then their income is, is varies based on what they're doing. And, and they said, all of a sudden our income went down. And I'm like, white knuckling it, but I kept giving. And he said, and I just believed God and I began to pray and I began to pray, God, could I work my way to where I give a five figure tithe? And he said, you know, God, could I give a 10 figure tithe? Could I give a, he just began to pray bold prayers. And he, and he handed me a check with a five-figure tithe. Tears welling up in his eyes. He said, this is our tithe. God has shown up in a crazy way. We're out of debt. And I just wanna say, I, I just thank you. I'm just so excited about what God's doing in this church. My life is being changed. My, our family, and they're just, we just talk forever. And can I just tell you, I told him, and I tell everybody when I hear those miracle stories, you don't get a miracle like that if you don't get in the game. And that son's standing there, and that son, I said, that young man right now, he's changed because of what's happening right here. So here's what I wanna do quickly. I want you to pull out your phone real quick. I wanna do something together. We're gonna do a little fun little exercise. Pull out your phone, and I'm gonna have a QR code up on the screen. I want you to launch onto that QR code. And then there's gonna be some prompts on your phone that I want us to do together. There's a prayer on your phone that I want you to read and I want us to do it together. Oh, do y'all not know what QR codes are? I'm just kidding. That's so 2019. Yeah, okay, so you're getting there. When you get there, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to read those words that say, Thank you, God, for the life you have given me. No matter where you are in your situation right now, thank you, God, for the life that you've given me. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. And we're starting with the heart. And if you right now are tithing, I want you to stay right there. I want you to stay in the gratitude and I want you to remind yourself that when you give, you're giving out of an overflow of your relationship with God. And let this be a very encouraging moment for you. For others of us, like my friend who found me in the lobby and his family, this could be a moment that I wanna challenge you to take the challenge. And it's all right there for you. You can do it later. I'm not asking you to do it right now, but why not right now? Take the challenge. Start trusting God. But first, start with the heart. Can we pray together? And as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, could you stand to your feet? And I wanna remind you that a moment ago, we stood with our hands with palms open. God, I submit to you. I wanna encourage you, if this is hard, take a step. 
take a step. Father, I pray right now, blessings upon the people in this house. I pray for someone right now that's gonna try to tithe for the very first time. God, would you reassure them? Would you encourage them? Father, some of us, we've been kneeling at the altar of stinginess. Uh, we save, 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 but we're not generous. Father, I pray that you break that idol in our heart. Others of us, we spend, 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 spend. Would you break the idol of grabbing a lifestyle that we can't afford? Father, would you break these idols in our life? And Father, may we trust you with the first and 10. May we trust you. May life be unlocked in this house as we submit to you in the name above every name that we pray.